especially when you're very, very young and you're so good at what you do because of your talent, your creativity. Sometimes it takes time to to shape that that diamond to make it perfect, you know. And then every, every once in a while, you'll you'll have hiccups and you have moments that you wish you didn't have, and it's, it's just part of the pr progress. Tennis is a sport where like everything happens in public, and it's a little bit different from let's say like like a job where like if you mess up at home in an office, nobody really knows about it, and you get angry, but at least nobody knows about it, nobody can judge you, which is different on a tennis court. everyone, John Wertheim here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast Beyond the Baseline. We have a player guest this week. We had a request to get more players, so we have an interesting conversation coming up with Misha Zverev, not Sasha. We'll give that away right up front. This is Misha, his older brother, who is almost 10 years older, 29 years old. He's ranked number 68, and we talked to him from... Stockholm, we will warn you that the Skype connection at the Players Hotel in Stockholm is not what it should be. Delightful tournament, delightful city, but they need to work on their Wi-Fi at the Players Hotel. So the audio here gets a little bit patchy, but boy, I really enjoyed talking to this guy. I'd never spoken to him before. Again, he is Misha Zverev, rank number 68. He had a lot of interesting thoughts about a number of topics. His younger brother among them, he does not shy at all away from talking about Sasha Zverev. He talks about what it's like to be a journeyman on tour. He's very rational, had some thoughts about Novak Djokovic. He also was the player who was on the other side of the net for Nick Kyrgios's latest episode, so he had some thoughts on that, an interesting conversation after the match with Kyrgios. Uh, this guy's great. Uh, I, I said at the end of this conversation with him, I've never spoken to an athlete that I can recall who was this rational and uh, this measured and this objective about uh, the sport and his place in it, but it was really a pleasure talking to him. Without further ado... From Sweden, we bring in Misha Zverev. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Not too bad. Actually, not doing too great, but not too bad. Uh oh, what happened? Yeah, I, I I came back from China and somehow yes, I am feeling not too well, and like I had like a stomach bug that kept me up all night and a little bit of a sore throat, but it's it's getting better already. Oh boy, I I feel bad. Are you uh yeah. you you have half hour to talk tennis or is this uh? I, sure, no, 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 no. You don't don't feel bad. No, I'm feeling. I mean, I'm feeling fine. I'm happy to talk half an hour as long as you want to talk. Oh, okay, very good. Um, oh. As long as, as you want to talk, and yeah, you're you're in Stockholm. You have that going for you. Nice nice town. Right now, Stockholm. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't I didn't get to play here because I uh, I came here too late, so I couldn't play qualies. Oh, and um, but you said how the town is. Uh, did you ask how the town was? No, let, let's uh, we, let's 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 start there. Um, th this is this is the life of uh of someone who's trying to build his ranking and and qualifying some weeks, and it you you got into town too late to play the qualies, and so now you you have a couple days to uh to lay low. Is that is that pretty much where you are right now? Yeah. Well. Yeah, because um, I actually, you know, I could have maybe made it for college, but I'd have to fly like Friday night and then get here Saturday, like around like noon or one p.m. and then go straight from the airport to the court. But I decided not to do it because it's a little tough on the body. And so then I thought maybe I can play doubles here with my brother. So we ended up for the doubles, didn't get in, and uh, ended up just coming here, relaxing for a couple of days, hanging out with my brother and my dad. 
and tomorrow on Wednesday we're going to go to uh, Basel, and I'll start getting ready for for qualies in Basel. So yeah, you know, like just every week you go somewhere and you try to do something good, and yeah. This this is the uh, this this is the life you've chosen to lead. This this is uh this this is the part of tennis that I think not a lot of people always see. Uh yeah, like a lot of people like they don't know like mainly like most people just get to watch the big tournaments, big events, and everything is very organized, very structured there, and like everything kind of seems like you know super convenient for the players and but. Yeah, like, uh, the truth is a lot of people don't really know how, like, what do you have to do to get there, like the path going, like, playing futures and challengers and qualies and traveling back and forth, left and right, and trying to, like, get those points. Um, it's something that's not well, like, documented, I would say, you know, because um, also maybe it's not interesting, maybe it's not fun, but it's it's part of life, yeah, you know, especially me coming back from wrist surgery two years ago, I had to, my ranking dropped to 1,100, so it was was quite a way to go from 1100 to now top 70. So I was going to say you're it's you're been 68. An journey, but it was it was a tough one. I, I want to ask you how much pressure do you feel to be the next big star in men's tennis? I'm I'm just kidding. Yes? That's that's the yes. question. No, I'm kidding. That's the question. I'm sure you get. Uh, how often do you get mistaken for your brother? How often do, do people just see the last name and start asking uh, you what it's like to be 19 years old and uh, have so much uh, potential? Um, no, I don't get mistaken very often because I'm, I'm 10 years older than him. Um, so that, that doesn't happen very often. But, um, if, if you want to know how much pressure he feels, I don't know about like him feeling pressure from the other people, but I'm sure like he puts a lot of pressure on himself and that's what, that's what he does. He just, he wants to be better and better every day. So he, he does, he does the whole pressure thing on, on his own. He doesn't need any, any assistance from the outside on that. I, I think it's very nice that you're always you're always very willing to talk about your brother, um, and, and you see it as, as something to, to support him with, and you're happy to take questions, and, and don't see it as an imposition. But but I, but I want to talk about you a little more. I mean, you you were a top fifty player not that long ago, and then you mentioned the wrist injury. It, did it ever get to the point where you said, you know what, I, I think it might be time to, uh, to to think about another career, or, or was the goal always to get back to playing full time matches? Um, well, my, I feel like my injury run started in 2009 where I fractured my wrist in Shanghai uh, when I was playing against uh, Fernando Gonzalez. And um, since that moment, I always had like some sort of an injury at least once a year with like two two fractured ribs, a herniated disc in my lower back. I think I had a, like a little pet, uh, tear in my patella tendon in my knee. And then the final like serious injury was my head surgery on my left wrist in 2014. And um, there were, yeah, there were times when I was physically injured, but then that led to, you know, we always call it like a mental injury because you just, there's certain days when you can't deal with all the like bad news that you receive from your doctor or like, you know, the lack of, the lack of success you have on the, on the, on the courts. And there's times when you just want to, do something else because you think this is no a it's no fun but you think this is like pointless you're not good at it anymore or you start doubting yourself and there were times when um when i actually thought about doing something else and um but in 2014 when i injured my wrist it was also the year that my brother played semis in hamburg as a as a 17 year old right and um and it kind of that combo of him playing really well me being really injured i realized how much i miss tennis how much i actually love tennis 
and I realized also that I'm I'm, I'm good at it, and I'm probably not going to be as good at anything else as I am in tennis. So, and um, so my goal was to come back from injury, recover from a surgery, and uh, start training really hard with my brother A to like you know also help him out by being a good you know training partner. And also, I wanted to see how good I can be, you know, trying to come back from 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 surgery and and if my wrist was gonna be fine playing again on on tour. So and, that's and interesting. Last year, I, I say again. No, it's, it it was interesting to me. It it sounds as though you're the, the fact that you're a mentor to to your brother is sounds like it's it might have the effect of extending your career. Exactly. That's you know, everybody says, "Oh, you helped your brother." I'm like, you know, in the way in the way he helped me too, because. You know, he's young, and when you're young, you have all this positive energy and anything is possible kind of attitude, you know, especially him, because he's very positive, very emotional. And he was like, you know, you're not quitting tennis. You're still good at it. You're going like, to be top 100 again. I'm like, well, you know, I hope it'll happen one day, but I, I'm not, I can't guarantee I'm not sure. He's like, no, you'll be there. Don't worry about it. You're playing well. So, and also, you know, that helped me. And then whenever we train, it's also a thing like, you know, when, when we train together, I don't want to lose to him. That's like, that's just, I don't want to lose to him. So... As as he was getting better, it kind of forced me to keep up with him. So my game automatically was becoming better because I had to just keep up with him. And the same thing happened when we when we hit the gym. You know, he becomes stronger. I mean, he's like growing. He's eighteen, nineteen, twenty. He's he's become he's growing. He's becoming stronger. Literally, like you know, every time he he eats something, he like he's gonna wake up being stronger than the day before. So, but that made me also work even harder to keep up with his you know level. And um, and help my tennis more than I think than like than anything else because right now I train more than I used to when I was like 23, 24, and I do things more professionally than I used to, and um, yeah, my goal is like kind of keep up with him and, and do the best I can on the course still by myself, which you know, I mean, looking at the result right now, I'm ranked 68 and I've been playing quite well the last couple weeks and months. And um, I, I feel pretty good. I'm looking forward to next year, next season, and see if I can even improve my ranking then. I was thinking too. You you've qualified. If if if, if I'm looking at this right, you you've qualified for nine events this year. So you've you've yeah, you've made main draws nine times when you had to qualify. First, I suspect you're ranked number 68 now. I suspect that uh, you know for next year and for the foreseeable future, you're going to have some more automatic ends, so you won't have to go through the. Yeah. The drill of qualifying. I wanted. Yeah. I, I I wanted to ask you too. I mean, you're this was this was only. It's hard to believe it was on the other side of the world, and it was only a week ago. But you're you're the answer to a trivia question. You you are the player who beat Nick Kyrgios, um, dur- during the match for which he was fined. What what was it like being on the other side of the net a week ago? Um, it, it was. In, I mean, it was interesting on one hand, and the other hand, like I. I don't know because we we know Nick. Nick off the court is, is the nicest guy you'll ever meet. He, he's really, really, really nice and friendly and very outgoing and open. And on court, you know, you, you kind of expect the unexpected. Like anything can happen. He can right. play phenomenal tennis. He can play not so good tennis. He can be like in, in the best mood ever, or you know, anything can happen. So I think I was so focused on trying to like not pay attention what was going on there and and that match actually decided like if if I would have won that match I would have been in the top 100 again for the first time in five years so with that goal in the back of my mind I tried to not care what what, what he was doing on court and 
you know, him making the day a little bit easier for me in the end just made me happy, made my life a lot easier too. So, and um, yeah, I had this question, like, do I feel bad for the people, for the audience that right. pay money? I'm like, yeah, it's, 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 I feel bad for them. Like, it's, it's you know, it's unfortunate. It's like, a, you know, a lottery. Um, but on the other hand, I was just so focused on what I wanted to achieve and like my goal and then me trying to win the match that like I, I just put this as the number one priority. And um, yeah, and they say, look, there's, you have to, I have to see, I have to decide between like, A, is it bad maybe for tennis or for the people that paid money? I'm like, maybe, but in the end, I, I need to survive. And, and that, and that moment, it just, that's, that's, that's all I was thinking about. Like this, I just wanted to win the match and you know, be top hundred again. So did, did, did you talk like, to each yeah. other after the match? I mean, did he, you know, listen, sorry, my head just wasn't in this. I mean, did you guys have conversation after the match? We actually had, we, we were sitting in a golf cart and like driving back to the locker room and, um, yeah, we were talking about it. I mean, we didn't really talk about the match. He said, yeah, he said, sorry for the match and all that. I'm like, dude, I'm like, dude, it, it's okay. I mean, it, it happens, you know? And, um, but he was so nice about it. Like, he was very relaxed, very nice. And he knew, like, he'd, he'd done maybe something that wasn't very helpful to himself for tennis. But uh, he said, he apologized to me, but he was very, very nice, very, very cool. And I, honestly, I can't say a bad thing about him. So, um, what he does on court, it's it's his thing. It's like it's his decision, and and he's like I, I always I always just said like, look, creative minds are very very different from us ordinary people. <laughs> and to me, the best the best artists or the best performers or athletes, they have all they're all such creative minds that there's something different about them. And especially when you're very very young and you're so good at what you do because of your talent, your creativity. Sometimes it takes time to to shape that that diamond to make it perfect, you know. And then every, every once in a while, you'll you'll have hiccups and you have moments that you wish you didn't have, and it's, it's just part of the pr- progress. So when people ask me, I always like I always try to have like and have them understand like you know it takes time because tennis is a sport where like everything happens in public. Like every, almost every practice can be watched. Like you can watch anyone practice at a tournament. You watch them like play matches. So anything that happens on court is televised, and like people see you. And and every mess up that you have on court is is like world like worldwidely known. And it's a little bit different from let's say like like a job where like if you mess up at home at an office, nobody really knows about it, and you get angry. But at least nobody knows about it. Nobody can judge you, which is different on a tennis court. That's, so that's, that puts some extra pressure on the ten, on the, on the player itself. That, that's really it, so much of that is really interesting to me. What, one of it is the fact that it, it occurs to me that you know, in some ways, Nick and your brother are are in similar positions, and, and you probably have a special sense of some of the the expectations and the pressure. But I'm also interested. You're you've been a top fifty player. You're ranked number sixty eight in the world. You just lost to Djokovic in three sets, and and you you're saying you you don't really think of yourself as being in that same super elite class as as some of the real geniuses. Is it is, is that accurate? Um, I'm I'm very very rational, especially when it comes to my tennis. I love um, it. When I look when I look at my brother or Kyrgyz, to me they're potential Grand Slam champions. I mean, I really wish and hope they will win multiple slams in the future. I know I'm a little bit older. I'm Novak's age, and um. I I know I'm a decent tennis player, but I'm not. I don't consider myself as a as a as a star or as a as a, I don't know. 
like an extraordinary player. That's I'm, I'm not top. I'm not top ten. I was 45 in the world, but I'm not top ten. I was nowhere near top 20. So I, I just know where I stand. Like it doesn't mean I just not. It doesn't mean it's not my goal. I definitely I believe uh, that I can be top 30 in the future, and I'm I'm working towards it. But at the moment, I'm not there. So I'm, I'm very rational. I'm very like objective, and and I know where I stand right now. So. I kind of look at things with a very clear perspective. I was going to say that's that's one of the most rational comments that I've heard a uh, a, a professional <laughs> a professional athlete uh, make. I, I'm interested in your relationship with your brother because there there've obviously been other siblings. I mean the, the the Brian brothers spring immediately to mind, who of course are twins. I mean even Venus and Serena Williams are, are only about a year and a half apart. You and your brother are almost a decade apart, and it sounds as though you're you're really close. I know you play doubles together, um, but you know, I mean, a 29 year old lives a very different life and has a very different worldview than than you know a 19, 20 year old. W- what is your relationship, and how do you think that the time, the 10 year difference, the nine year difference, exes itself? Um, 10 years is is a is a big gap. Um, my parents did wait a long time for him, I guess, uh, but. I feel like it helped us and me to also we can challenge each other, we can argue, we can fight, we can do whatever, but the 10 years helped like for me to be more rational with him, to be more um, calm when it comes to like his things. And also, and, like I feel like he can trust me also a little bit more than if I was maybe like one or two years apart because then it would be like this intense challenge that like, you know, siblings would have. And um, also, Growing up, or not even now, like I feel like my main task in our relationship is like just to be his older brother, just to be like his friend, and um, just just to be there for him. I'm I'm not I'm not his parent, and I'm not his direct rival when it comes to whatever it is, because I'm a little bit older than him. So I feel like we have like a healthy balance between like just all the things. Like I can be like his mentor i can be his advice giving per, like i can be i can be his advisor but i can also just be his like buddy or older brother i can you know just play playstation with him for a couple hours and just be like you know as if we're the same age so it's an interesting dynamic and it's hard to explain because like we have to switch roles especially because on court we have one role off the court we kind of have to forget like whatever our jobs are and just be normal at home but it's not always easy to do that. So I feel like over the years, I especially learned how to like help him the most by just being knowing when to be his older brother or knowing when to be just his friend or when to be a little tougher on him. But um, it took some time. It definitely takes a lot of patience and time, and, and you need to pay attention to every aspect of what it takes to be a professional tennis player or just a good family member. What are some of the things you tell him? I mean, I, you were a, a full-time pro when he was you know, still 10 years old. I mean, you, you've been doing this a while. What are some of the lessons or what are some of the points that you try to impress upon him as he starts his career? Um, I think the most important is how you teach someone to deal with um, not only success but failure. And um, I, this is what I try to focus because dealing with success is obviously, to me, I feel like it's easier because things go well, you win matches, like everything's great. You think like you're unstoppable, the world is sensational. But you will always get to the point when there's when there's failure and then it depends on how you deal with it. Like it, will it make you stronger? Will it make you weaker? 
and will it change of who you are or not? And this is what I try to um, talk to him about, like how he feels, and, and and try to understand what he feels like, and and just keep him calm because you know he's young, and so far his career is just being going like you know straight up. Everything every week is almost like an improvement in his ranking and results and everything. But he also had a couple of weeks when he lost a few a few first rounds unexpectedly, and and he started questioning himself. And this is when I try to step in and just really calm him down and just tell him like it's it's no it's part of the process and how do you use that like failure that like those feelings that are, those emotions to like turn them into positive energy and and like and put that energy into whether it's training or matches or, or preparing yourself to then like you know get some more uh success out of it and um this is this is what i try to like teach him a little bit or just t- talk to him mainly just talk to him not I don't want to say teach him because I don't I don't feel myself that that high above him, and uh, but a lot of times also we just talk about um, just how do you approach different game styles, how do you approach like tennis, how do you approach uh, just just opponents, tournaments, feelings, emotions, and and I just try to be open with him about how I feel and what is uh, new to me, what I felt when I was a little bit younger or his age, and and I just try to reflect and just talk to him openly about it. What's he done that surprised you the most? Right now, everything and nothing kind of surprises me at the same time because it surprised me that he actually is that good and like he achieves those goals. But deep down, I believe in him so much in such a young age that it all feels somewhat natural. Or So it's more like, it's not a surprise, more just like I'm really happy that he actually made it this far. Where do you think men's tennis is right now? I mean, it it, it seems as though we, we you know we're waiting for some of these young players, and you can debate whether or not the the big four or the big five, whatever we want to call it, sort of what the status is, and if Roger and Rafa are going to win more majors. I mean, it it seems like this transition period from the outside. But I'm curious, as someone not just who has a brother who's often in the conversation, but as a guy yourself who's now top seventy and seeing these. Guys, week in, week out, where, where do you think the men's game is in October of 2016? Well, I think it's a, at a very high level. And um, if you talk about, you want to know who's going to win the next, who's going to win a slam in like two years or three years from right. now, who's going to be dominating tennis, I think it'll be someone from the young guys because, you know, Novak and, and Rafa, they're kind of like my age. We're approaching 30 or we're already 30. So... Even with all the work we do out the court, I think it'll be tough to keep up at, let's say, 33, 34, 35, to keep up with the guys that are going to be around 20 to 25. And and I feel like the game's also changing a little bit, like like it always does every couple of years. And, um, How, how's that? How do you, how do you right see now, the game changing? Well... I feel like it's becoming more physical. Let's say maybe 15 years ago, they were like hard hitters, and but they weren't very consistent or they weren't physically very strong. Then, um, then Federer came along. Or let's say then Federer came along, who was not only someone who was physically very strong and who could use every shot, but he was also hitting the ball pretty hard, and he kind of just like completed, like he was just a complete player. And then Rafa came along, who was even stronger physically, and he could like hit the ball even harder with his forehand. And the last couple of years, I feel like it shifted a little bit to Novak and Murray, who are just very, very, very consistent and very strong physically and mentally. And then they just became, like, super rough. 
but now the new generation, I feel like they're maybe a bit more creative. They're maybe like they hit the ball even harder, but they're maybe a little bit more creative, a little bit more crazy, and maybe a little bit more unpredictable. Because right now Andy and, and Novak, they're like, like they're like machines. They're right, just right. flawless. They don't make any unforced errors. They're like super precise, but they're somewhat predictable in their game style. And if you look at Kyrgios, who's totally unpredictable in his game style, or even even my brother, who's like he can hit the ball pretty hard. He can hit a drop shot every once in a while. He has a very very big serve too. So I feel like maybe the new generation is going to hit the ball even harder and be a little bit more unpredictable. Um, but I don't know. Again, like it might change. It might change in a little bit. It might. Maybe they won't be as complete as as Noah and Andy are right now. But I, I think the way the change is going to. Are Are you surprised with uh, with Novak? And I mean, you you've known him forever. You played him last week, but you've also known him forever. Are you? Uh, if you're if you're a Novak yeah, Djokovic yeah. fan, how concerned are you right now? I don't know exactly, but I think he. He just performed at such a high level for the last couple of years that it was almost like beyond what a human could do. He was just literally flawless every every time he stepped on a court. And um, <clears throat> it's really hard to maintain that level. And it's it's normal for a human being to get to a point where you just you, you need a break, whether it's physical or mentally. Just, you need a break, you need to. And I think him winning the French Open... That was that was, he reached the point where he finally achieved his, his big, big, big goal, and afterwards maybe he like it's normal that the human just kind of needs a little bit of a break, but it doesn't mean he's never gonna play like his best tennis again. I think if he like has a good off season, he takes some time and he can start 2017 playing like incredible tennis again and dominating the the whole circuit again. So. I, I personally wouldn't be so concerned, but again, I don't, you know, I can I can't look into anyone's mind or head or heart, so I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But you, but you've you've known him since you were little boys, right? Yeah, I think the first time we played each other we were like 13 years old. It was a junior tournament in a, in Italy, and I think we played like two weeks back to back. And the and the first week I lost to him, and then I think the following week I, I beat him in the final. So it, it, and that was that was 2000. Uh, well, if we could do the math, what would that? But probably, uh, yeah, oh, it was that prob- was like maybe two thousand. I was going to yeah, say it's probably before nine eleven. Two thousand, two thousand one. Yeah. Long ago. If, 15, if, 16, yeah, fifteen, sixteen years ago. Did you did you see greatness? I mean, did did you? If I told you fifteen years from now we'd be talking about him as a guy who is going to win double digit majors, do you, do you say that sounds about right, or, or are you surprised by this? Um, what I realized back then was different from other players he was so determined and he hated losing i remember that even now he hated losing he was so determined and so focused and he was very very confident he was just sure in himself he was just like there was no doubt for him and um and he was just one of the biggest fighters back then even so that was that was very very different Gonna say, I, because you know, like kids at like th- when they're thirteen, fourteen, they're like, okay, they win, they lose. That's it was kind of like all just a game. But he, he was like he hated losing. He was so passionate about it, and he was he was an unbelievable fighter even back then. And you know, it, it pays off. It paid off. His confidence, um, you know, paid off, and, and his fighting spirit too. 
they're playing an event in in Vienna coming up. At, and before the before the event, they're going to have I think Andy Murray's playing and Dominic Team, and I think Tommy Haas is coming in too. Where they're only going to play tiebreakers, and we keep hearing about how tennis needs to speed up and how they need to try new formats. So this is sort of an exhibition before the Vienna tournament that's only going to be tiebreak. You know, I, I think it's you know you play five or ten tiebreaks and that's the match. Uh, how are you on t- tennis and format and whether or not? Uh, we need to think about changing the format of the sport to become faster and more modern. We we need to attract people. Like tennis has to attract people, and you know, if you want to keep keep it popular and entertaining and fun, then we need to find a way. How can we attract uh, young people, and like, how can we get new fans, and like, just you know, how can we get a bigger crowd? So in order to do that, we just have to come up with like new ideas and whatever works, and that's we apply, uh, and then. Whether it's making the set shorter or playing tiebreakers or super tiebreakers, whatever it is, I mean, change is always hard, especially for a tennis players. If he, you know, we play, we play with the with the same rules for like many, many years. But today we have to go with the flow, go with like whatever people like to do or like to watch. And if if change is required, then this is what we have to do because, you know, we all need to survive somehow. Like if if we can make the, the sport more popular then we have to see what what it takes so um I, personally if there's a way to keep things the way they are i would be fine with it but if somebody says look we can get like 30 40 percent more people coming to watch and like it, it'll increase prize money it'll increase like spectators and everything then i i'm pretty sure that like tennis players would be okay with that yeah how do you think that that you think that plays okay in the locker room uh, like I said, tennis players normally don't really like change. <laughs> they like to keep things the way they are, right? Uh, because change is is a lot of risk. Because if you play tiebreakers, who is it going to benefit? Is it going to benefit someone who has a better serve, someone who is like more consistent? So then, like it, it throws a lot of question. And uh, some players might feel disadvantaged at that stage, and some players will be like, "Oh yeah, this is great." Maybe Carlos, or someone like Carlos, would be like, "This is perfect." You play <laughs> exactly. like tiebreakers exactly. only. Maybe he's gonna be top ten in the world. You know, <laughs> like uh, so. It really depends on the player. But I think you know, one day something has to happen anyway. I mean, as as far as tradition goes, there's still you know change has to happen in order to to move forward or improve things. So. Whether it's going to happen sometime soon or maybe 10, 15 years from now, I don't know. But eventually, I think something's going to change. Yeah, you're you're, you're an NBA fan, right? Yeah. So there, there's going to be uh, so, so at some point they said, "Listen, there's going to be a shot, and we're going to use it next season. It's going to be worth three points. It's going to be you know a little bit further back, but it's going to be worth yeah. three points. That's that's a pretty dramatic change, and uh, everybody seemed to survive okay." Everybody's yeah, everybody's doing okay with those with the three pointers. Um, yeah, but I'm sure a lot of players were. I don't know if they were against it or not, but I, mean, I have no clue. But all kinds of changes is always scary to me. I mean, to me and and other people too. I think. All right, last last question. This was this was terrific. Um, you you are probably the most rational and measured athlete I've spoken to in a long time. At least that uh, <laughs> that isn't a UFC fighter. But let, here's here's my last question. Trivia. Name the last okay. pair of brothers to be ranked in the top 100 at the same time. I think Rockers. Oh, you brother. got it. Very good. Very good. All right. I thought I'd get yeah. you. 
Olivier and Christoph uh, Rokas. Very good. But um, no, yeah. this this uh, th- this was great. I hope you feel better. If if you have to uh, if you have to kill three days, you could do worse than Stockholm. But uh, I suspect you'd rather be uh, be playing is, matches. It's pretty. No, Stockholm is a great place, and people here are very nice. They welcome us very well, and I was I was already enjoying myself here. But unfortunately, yeah, I didn't feel too great last time. I'm sure it'll get better, and looking forward to Basel too. Go to Basel, get better, and uh, this this was really a pleasure. It was uh, this this was really an interesting conversation. You're you're way too rational to be a professional athlete, but uh, it was fun talking, <laughs> and uh, we'll we'll deal with your brother late. Yeah. Good luck to you. Thank you. Maybe that's my issue. Maybe people say I'm too rational to be to be a very good tennis player. I'm too normal. Maybe I should be a little bit more crazy or irrational. So maybe I'll try next next season, 2017. But then uh, if I become a little too unrational, uh, then people shouldn't complain. Yeah, I was gonna say when when Curios is on the other side of the net, uh, we'll, we'll look for you to be the one uh, to get the fine next time. But uh, okay, this uh, th- this was great. Um, Look, look forward to chatting again. I really enjoyed this. And uh, good, good luck the rest of the year and good luck in 2017. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. That's this week's podcast guest, Misha Zverev. We thank him a great deal for his time, candor, and rational thought. Um, boy, that is not uh, the kind of interview I've usually had with, with an active athlete. That's a guy who really seems to uh, be very measured in his, his take about the profession and where he fits in. Wish him all the best, his brother as well. That was uh, that was a pleasure. We'll have another player guest next time. We have a WTA star who uh, has agreed to spend some time with us. I'll keep you in suspense as to identity. Anyway, I'm John Wertheim. Jamie Lasanti is always is our trusty producer. Keep the uh, comments coming. We always enjoy your feedback. That was Misha Zverev, and that was this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. We'll do it again in seven days. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.